Welcome to another life-impacting message from City Light Church, North Adelaide. You can find more great things like this at citylight.church slash North Adelaide. All right, so um, just before Jacko stands up and brings us the message, we are going to be reading just from Psalm today. We're going to be reading Psalm 73. So um, I'm reading from the NIV. Feel free to join along in whatever form you fancy. So Psalm 73. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet have almost slipped. I have nearly lost my foothold. For I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They are free from common human burdens, and they are not plagued by human ills. Therefore, pride is their necklace, and they clothe themselves with violence. From their callous hearts come iniquity. Their evil imaginations have no limits. They scoff and speak with malice. With arrogance they threaten oppression. Their mouths lay claim to heaven and their tongues take possession of the earth. Therefore, their people turn to them and they drink up waters in abundance. They say, how would God know? Does the Most High know anything? This is what the wicked are like. Always free of care, they go on amassing wealth. Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure, and I have washed my hands in innocence. All day long I have been afflicted, and every morning brings new punishment. If I had spoken out like that, I would have betrayed your children. When I tried to understand all this, it troubled me deeply, till I entered the sanctuary of God. Then I understood their final destiny. Surely you place them on slippery ground. You cast them down to ruin. How suddenly are they destroyed and completely swept away by terrors. They are like a dream when one awakes. When you arise, Lord, you will despise them as fantasies. My heart was grieved and my spirit embittered. I was senseless and arrogant. I was a brute beast before you. Yet I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterwards you will take me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you, and earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Those who are far from you will perish. You destroy all those who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge and I will tell of all of your deeds. Amen. Amen. Thanks for reading, Ruth. Don't close Psalm 73 if you were tempted to. Uh, Keep it open on your device or in your hard copy of the Bible. I'm Simon, uh, lead pastor here at City Light Church, North Adelaide. Um, I want to get you to talk to the people just with you, next to you, around you briefly about the topic of doubt. Uh, We're thinking about doubt today. Um, When you are faced with doubts, Uh, When you see things around you in the world or see things in people around you which cause you to doubt why you live or what's really going on, what do you do? What do you do in the face of doubt? Can you turn to the person next to you? I'll give you about a minute. What do you do when you're faced with doubt? Where do you go? What do you do? How do you process your doubts? Have a quick chat to the person next to you. I'll give you a minute. Go. All right. I'll get you to... Keep those thoughts in the back of your minds. 
Uh, and as I said, please uh, do keep Psalm 73 open in front of you. Let's pray together. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you and praise you for your word. Uh, Father, thank you that you have uh, not remained silent, but you have spoken through the prophets, uh, Father, moving them by your Holy Spirit to speak to your people and to have your words written down for us in the Bible. Thank you for uh, the apostles, for their words, uh, for their words that have been again inspired by your Holy Spirit written for us in the New Testament. And thank you for the word, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, Father, you in the flesh. Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus. We meet together in his name by the power of the Holy Spirit. And Father, we pray that today as we gather around your word in the power of the Holy Spirit, Father, we pray with thanks for the honesty of your word and pray, Father, that by your spirit we would see, hear and love Jesus, that we would find our refuge in him afresh this morning. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I hope you're not too shocked to hear me say that doubts are very normal in the Christian life. Over the past 11 years, uh, my time in full-time gospel ministry, uh, paid ministry, I reckon all of the staff that I've worked with across a whole bunch of different churches have chatted to me either, you know, kind of informally just by walking down the road for a cup of coffee or formally sort of, you know, in a kind of more formal context about their doubts. You know, is it real? Is it true? Does God really exist? And more than that, some have even said to me, like, Simon, is it all really worth it? Have I made a big mistake, you know, moving from this career to now vocational gospel work? Doubt is not abnormal for Christians. Um, a few weeks ago, I met up with a brother for a coffee um, I'd engaged online uh, just in a conversation with a few old friends, a couple of friends that I used to go to school with. And in chatting to my mates from school, I realised that the gap had really widened between kind of myself and them. Um, a couple of my mates were, you know, advancing in their professional careers. They were earning big money, uh, you know, enjoying some fancy local holidays and enjoying heaps of like corporate perks, right? And I shared with my brother over a cup of coffee that I felt envy. I was jealous. I expressed some doubts. Actually, I was a bit grumpy. Most of us will have moments, periods, seasons of doubt. And how could you not? You know, you only have to look around and see all the injustices and the suffering in our world, the wicked seeming to prosper at the expense of others. I would even say that if you haven't experienced doubts and you probably haven't looked at the world closely enough, the injustice and the suffering. Asaph, the author of this psalm, Psalm 73, sees all this and he talks about it. If you're new to us today, we've been working through the month of January, every Sunday, through the book, some of the psalms in the book of Psalms. And Psalm 73 is where we arrive today. Um, psalm 73, I don't know if you know this, but the book of Psalms, the 150 psalms in our Bible, are split up into five separate books. Uh, and Psalm 73 kicks off book three. So books one and two largely are the prayers of David, King David. It's, book three is a little bit different. The first 12 Psalms in book three are from this guy Asaph. 
and they're widely known as the dark book of the Psalms because Psalm 73 to 90 are filled with lots of questions. There are some complaints, there's some laments, but there's plenty of questions. And this psalm, or these psalms, this collection of psalms in book three, kind of express a sense of bewilderment at God's ways and the world around. You know, ask questions like, you know, God, why do you do it like that? Why are these people so affluent when they're so wicked? These psalms help us find words to express our own bewilderment and come out the other side alive. Psalm 73, we're told, is by Asaph, and it's an account of one man going through doubts. I'm not sure I want to keep going as a Christian. And why is that? Well, he's experiencing some oppression. There's a group of wicked people, this kind of ruthless mob in his society. So verse 8 of Psalm 73, they threaten oppression. Verse 14, all day long I've been stricken. So that's the content But the point of the psalm is actually the questions that the wicked are doing so well and that just gets to him, it makes him grumpy. Not the fact that there are wicked people around, it's what does God allow them to do so well? You know, I'm a believer and I'm finding life pretty hard. It's the issue of doubt that is at the heart of this psalm. And verses two and three, it's envy of the wicked that causes him to doubt. That's the issue. So here's a Christian believer looking around at the world, looking at other people, and he says, I envy them. Have a look at verse one. Verse one is like the summary statement. It's like the the title statement over the psalm. Um, He writes, surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. Now, if you're a Jewish person and you went along to like a, a service in the temple, most of the services would start with this kind of refrain. Everyone together would say, surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. And it would carry on. I reckon Asaph, he's there and he goes, surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. And then he goes, whatever. I don't believe that. This is not my experience. But it's here at the beginning. It's actually where he gets to by the end of the psalm, but he has to do a lot of very hard work to get there. There are really two halves to this psalm if you're a note taker. There are two halves to this psalm. The the first half, verses 2 to 14, Asaph stares at the carefree wicked. That's the problem. Second half of the psalm, verses 15 through 28, he stared at the truth of God. That's the resolution. So firstly then, come with me, the the problem. He stared at the carefree wicked. Here's the problem, verse two and three, follow with me. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold, for I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. So he looks around and he sees all these injustices, all kinds of injustices. And you notice his honesty? He doesn't just notice the injustices, he goes, and I was jealous. He envied the wicked. Now just take note, the translation we have in most of our translations of the Bible that we use these days, um, the word wicked is probably a bit of a strong word or translation of that. Um, How you translate that Hebrew word is largely determined by the context of the particular passage you're looking at. Um, But the Hebrew word can in context mean wicked. Probably here it means more like faithless or unbeliever. That's probably what we're talking about. 
So he's not calling, you know, every unbeliever wicked, right? I mean, he sees some particularly kind of nasty people around, but most are just faithless. That's what he's talking about. But verse 2, right? Those who laughed at me for being a Christian seem to do really well because verse 3, I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Probably more like I keep on seeing day after day until I looked and thought, wow, their lives are really good in comparison to mine. What did he see? What did he see exactly? Well, verses 4 to 12 of our psalm kind of elaborate on that. What did he see when he looked out at the carefree faithless in the world? Well, just to step back one second, we're not actually given the full context of this psalm, when it was written, why it was inspired. Um, Possibly it's around the time when the exiles of Israel returned to Jerusalem and under Ezra and Nehemiah, the city's kind of being rebuilt. And when they came back to Jerusalem, no doubt God's people received all kinds of taunts and jibes and harassment. But we're given in verses 4 to 12 a description of the lives of the faithless. And probably this could translate pretty easily to many people living in Australia, many people living in our city here in Adelaide. So verses four and five, what does he see about the faithless? Well, verses four and five, he says it seems like their lives are really good. Have a look at verses four and five. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They are free from common human burdens. They're not plagued by human ills. Not too many struggles for these people. Body, fit and well, free from common garden variety burdens, not plagued by human ills. Um, You know, right, for these people, right, there is no waiting in queues. There's no waiting in queues. It's first class all the way, no less than business class for these kinds of people. And you know, these people, right, they read the advertiser, or they, like me, they listen to ABC 891, and they hear about public hospital waiting lists. And they ask themselves, they go, what are those things? Why don't those people have HCF or NIB or Medibank Private? Why don't they hang out at Calvary Hospital or St Andrews? And these people, there's no, they never check NetBank, right? They never look at their bank statements because they just know that there's a mountain of money sitting there they can just tap into. No, life is, life is good for these people. Um, verses four and five, and guess what? So verse six and seven, they are, they're proud. Verses six and seven, therefore pride is their necklace. They clothe themselves with violence. From their callous hearts comes iniquity. Their evil imaginations have no limits. They view most people with disdain. And so verses eight and nine, they mock. They scoff, verse eight, and speak with malice. With arrogance, they threaten oppression. Their mouths lay claim to heaven and their tongues take possession of the earth. These are people with the best lawyers. They can bully, they can intimidate. Verse nine, they laugh at the idea of their being a God. I am the captain, I'm in control. And verses 10 and 11, lots of people look on and approve of them, of the carefree faithless. So verse 10, therefore people turn to them and drink up waters in abundance. They say, how would God know? Does the Most High know anything? Now verse 10, right, that's a Hebrew idiom there where it says drink up waters 
in abundance. They don't look at these people and just kind of get like a 10 gallon drum and just drink water, right? The, the, the idea there is they, they look at these people and they raise a glass in approval to their lifestyle. And these people say, how would God even know? I can do what I want. Now, there are plenty of noteworthy examples of these kinds of people in our world, you know, like millionaires or billionaires who flaunt their wealth, who, you know, you read of, I don't know, like a James Packer who's just buying another $35, $100 million launch, or Jeff Bezos, um, I got that pronunciation right, I think. I said to Bazzi before, who's that guy that runs Amazon? Is it Jeff Bezos or something? And he goes, Dad, no, it's Jeff Bezos. Anyway, but you know, Jeff Bezos, you know, owns Amazon, owns you know, half the world, right? And he's just like doing all these cool things. But we, we can look at those people, right? The millionaires, the billionaires. But in a milder sense, it's easy for us, isn't it, to look at those around us who are not followers of Jesus, look at their lives and go, wow, they're, they're doing fine. Actually, they're carefree. They're not burdened by anyone, anything. It's not fair. So Asaf summarizes, this is what the wicked, the faithless are like. They're carefree. They go on amassing wealth, verse 12. And so in verses 13 and 14, Asaf summarizes how he felt about all this. Verse 13, surely in vain I have kept my heart pure and have washed my hands in innocence. All day long I have been afflicted and every morning brings new punishments. He's demoralized. Verse 13, what's the point of following God, Yahweh, if you don't, if, if you don't follow him, you, you get an easier life. And in verse 14, there's a personal element to it, right? He goes, I have been afflicted. It's not simply intellectual doubt here for Asaph. It's not just someone, you know, watching the news or listening to the radio about the injustices in Afghanistan or ongoing violence in Syria or listening and hearing about COVID vaccination inequality across the globe, or the growing disparity between haves and have-nots, even in our own country in Australia, and treatment of refugees. It's not just looking at those things. What makes Asaf rage is that it's, it's what happens to him personally. Oh, sure, like he looks out and says, yeah, people's lives are tough, but my life, my life, I've been afflicted. This is not just doubt in the library. This is doubt on the street for him. I feel it personally. Let me take a slight digression or tangent here. It's worth noting, brothers and sisters, that when doubts come, you know, is it true? Did Jesus really exist? Is Jesus worth living for? When those things come up, it's, it's good to ask and, and prosecute what else is going on in my life. Because often doubts come because of external circumstances. I'm sick. I've lost my job. You know, I see all these other people around me who are happily married and I'm not. You know, I compare myself to others. And then the internal doubts arise. Rarely are doubts simply an intellectual problem. We can end up like Asaf here, right? Complaining, it's not fair. So doubts, if you're a Christian, doubts about the truth 
the goodness, the relevance, and the beauty of Christianity are a mixture of the objective, there is suffering, there is injustice, there is inequality, there is racism, pain, and the subjective, how do I feel? How am I affected? How am I impacted? You see, Asaph, right, like many of us, didn't like injustice, but his foot slipped when it affected him. When he felt hard done by, when he felt envy, when he experienced FOMO, his problem was that he kept staring at the carefree wicked. Okay, then let's look at the second half of the psalm. The turning point of this psalm comes in verse 15. Here is the resolution. He stared at the truth of God. He stared at the truth of God. Are you with me? You know, he stared at the carefree wicked, verses 2 to 14. Turning point, verse 15. He, he stared at the truth of God. Now, got to be upfront. In this second half of the psalm, there is no verb, you know, to stare. There is no verb to look at in these verses. But I think there's an obvious shift in this section of the psalm. So verse 15, um, if I had spoken out like that, I would have betrayed your children. All of a sudden, Asaph is not just thinking about himself. He's thinking about others, those he has loyalties to, responsibilities for. Asaph says, I would have betrayed you, Lord, and your children. It's new. It's actually the first time since verse 1 that Asaph has made any reference to the Lord. Did you notice that? Uh, in verses 2 to 14, Asaph really is only thinking about two groups of people, right? Um, me and them, me and the faithless. He doesn't see anyone else. He doesn't see the Lord, just me and them, just me and them, me and the faithless. It's like he's in a bubble. Yeah, they're doing better than me. I'm fed up. <laughs> Reduced it all down. Anyone seen the uh, streaming series Billions? Anyone seen Billions? Anyone? That's good. You're probably better for not watching Billions, by the way. Um, um, Billions, it's, it's actually really good. It is completely immoral, but it's actually really good TV. Am I allowed to say that? I don't know. Um, as your pastor, don't watch Billions. Anyway, um, centers around two kind of wealthy protagonists who utterly despise one another and their ambition in life, their sole ambition in life is to beat the other person and they are, in order to achieve that, willing to do absolutely anything and everything. So they're willing to sacrifice their marriages, they're willing to sacrifice money, they're even willing to sacrifice relationships with their own children, everything, right, in order to be better than the other. Everything in billions, this show is reduced down to these two people. Asaph reduces it all down. I look at them, they're doing better than me. It's killing me, I'm so envious. He was thinking, what's the point of being a Christian when he, what's the point of being a Christian when she is doing better than me? His whole world has just shrunk down. But in verse 15, there's a little change. There are other people, the Lord and his children. Verse 16, 17, things really change. When I tried to understand all this, he says, it troubled me deeply until I entered the sanctuary of God. Then I understood their final destiny. Things changed for Asaph, this, this follower of Yahweh, this follower of God, when he went to the sanctuary. 
Of course, he's not talking here about like taking a plane flight to Sanctuary Cove in Queensland. He's not talking about a day at Endota Spa being pampered over on O'Connell Street, but um, it's going to be great, right? We're going to move the church closer to there, you know, on the 6th of February. No, that'd be nice, right? A bit of pampering. The sanctuary, the temple, the dwelling place of God, the church, in very, 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 very simple terms. It's there he gained a fresh perspective. We're not told exactly what happened when Asaph went to the, church, the sanctuary. I don't know, maybe he was welcomed by greeters, asked to go and check out the free resource table at the front. Maybe before that he was asked to QR check, you know, check in, then offered, and offered a latte. I don't know, maybe all those things, we don't know. We don't know, we just went there. But we do know two things that would certainly have happened when he went there because two things always did happen when you went there. Firstly, he would have heard the word of the living God. And secondly, he would have sung with hundreds, maybe thousands of fellow believers. Those two things, hearing the word of God and, and meeting with believers, always significant things. A good friend of mine uh, lost his teenage son to cancer a few years ago. He was a guy that was at Moore College, Bible College with me around the same time. Um, I called him just before Christmas to see how he was going. I've never lost a child, but I can imagine it would be one of the most devastating things to ever happen to anyone to lose a child. We chatted about a whole bunch of things. Um, and then I got to ask him, I said, how are you coping? How are you feeling? And he shared a few things. And he said, you know what, ever since my son died, two things have been absolutely essential for me to keep going. To be reminded of the promises of God and to have friends who just draw alongside me. That's, that's kept him going as a Christian, kept him going as a man. The promises of God. You know, for him, the promises of God mean that one day he will see his son again. Because Jesus promised that all those who trust in him, although they die, will live again and be with God forever. And he knew his son trusted in the Lord Jesus, and so he will see his son. He, he's resting on the promises of God. You know, he shared with me that, you know, the verse from Romans 8, you know, all things work together for the good of those who love God and accord according to his purpose. He says, I, I don't really understand that, but I believe it. And that's keeping me going. He's got this hope that's grounded in the, the life and the work and the death and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. He can trust God. And friends, Christian friends, who encourage him to keep looking up friends who won't judge him when he's angry or frustrated, people who are just with him and remind him of the promises of God. We don't have all the details, right? But, but for Asaph, these two things would have been there, the word of God outlining the promises of God and the encouragement of being with other believers. And brothers and sisters, there are times in our lives, right? Maybe you're here and right now, there's stuff going on in your life and you just need to be reminded of the promises of God. And you just need to believe it, just to get alongside you and encourage your heart because you're just battling. Maybe that's you today. Maybe that's what you need. 
Going to the sanctuary, the temple, the church is what changed Asaph. And when he went there, verse 17, there I understood their final destiny. The destiny of, verse 18, the faithless. Now the word understood here is probably best translated considered because it's not like he'd never understood this before, right? Oh, you know, Asaph, like when everyone dies, uh, they're required to stand before the living God and give an account of their life. Really? I'd never heard of that before. That's very interesting. No, Asaph, he's a believer. But here he considers it, he, he recalls it. This truth that he's always known, it comes back to him afresh. And this fresh realization for Asaph means three things. For him, he gains firstly a fresh outlook about the faithless. So verses 18 to 20, follow with me. Surely you place them on slippery ground. You cast them down to ruin. How suddenly are they destroyed, completely swept away by terrors. They are like a dream when one awakes. When you arise, Lord, you will despise them as fantasies. Oh yeah, he says. And now that I've reflected on the future of those who oppress others and taunt believers and taunt believers in Jerusalem, taunt believers on Adelaide University campus, you know, one day they'll die and they'll stand before the Lord and be rejected. I mean, they look so secure, they look so safe. Their lives look so good, but he gets a fresh outlook on the faithless. Secondly, he gets a fresh perspective on himself. It's really interesting. Verse 21 and 22, have a look. When my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. I was a beast. I wasn't thinking straight. I was thinking like an animal. Um, I don't know if you've noticed in the English language, we, we have loads of idioms for this kind of thing where we say people are kind of acting like an animal. I don't know, we've got the idioms like, you know, like a bull in a china shop, a store. Uh, we've got, you know, you're being as stubborn as a mule or you're just downright pig-headed. I was actually reading through my message earlier at about sort of nine o'clock in the kids' area and Bazzy was sitting next to me and I mentioned pig-headed and he goes, oh, that's you, Dad. And I'm like, well, that's the last bagel you get, mate. From the... I was a beast, he says. I wasn't thinking well because verse 21, my heart was grieved. Asaph gains a fresh perspective on the faithless. He gains a fresh perspective on himself. And thirdly, wonderfully, a fresh perspective on the Lord. Verse 23. Yet, he says, I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will take me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Here, here is a wonderful truth when you're slipping. Verse 23, yet I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. The Lord is always with you, holding you. One of my favorite things to do is go down to the beach at South Glenelg. I kind of call it Broadway. Um, with my kids, um, 
I don't know if you've been to South Glenelg, but just outside the kiosk is a set of steps that goes down from the sort of walkway sort of down to the beach. And when the tide's right in, the, the water kind of comes right up and laps sort of over the couple of steps at the bottom. And you can imagine over time, right, that step, all those steps get kind of skanky. You know, a fair bit of moss and grossness all over it. And so they become really slippery. They're so slippery, right, that you know, when you walk down, when an older man like me walks down, I kind of like to hold someone's hand, right, because I don't bounce that well anymore, right? Sebastian and Fletcher and Stella, they just leap up and down, and you know, no dramas. I kind of hit the ground and don't get up again. But, um, so I kind of like to hold my hand, right? But it's nice. You know, I'm not scared of going downstairs. I'm told that Donald Trump finds going downstairs kind of scary. I'm not like him, but I do like having a bit of a balustrade, right? Or just a you know, touch onto or my, my kid's hands. It's nice. Because when the ground beneath me is slippery, I just need some support. And this psalm reminds the believer that the Lord is there. He never leaves his people. He guides, he holds, he supports. So much so, brothers and sisters, that verse 24, he will take those who've trusted him, where? Into glory. And verse 25, wow, it's a beautiful verse. A famous verse. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Now note what it says there, right? My heart and my flesh may fail. I, I reckon we can probably jettison the word may, right? My heart and my flesh fail. They do. They just give up, fail. You know, physically fail, lose strength, peter out. Emotionally fail, just give up at times, collapse. But God is two things. One, he is the strength of my heart. He gives what we need emotionally. Two, he is my portion forever. Here, Asaph would no doubt be thinking about how the living God gave each of the 12 tribes a portion of land in the promised land as their future, as their inheritance. And he's saying here, God is our portion. He gives us what we need. You know, I've taught this psalm before, but I've not noticed until this time that six times in this psalm, the heart is mentioned because I think that's the key place of battle. My heart was grieved, verse 21. My heart failed, but God is the strength of my heart. So the whole picture of this psalm is I was looking, I was staring at the carefree, faithless, and I thought it's not right. I can't cope, it's not fair. But now I'm looking at the Lord and I see the truth about myself and about eternity. That those who reject the living God are eternally lost, but by the grace and mercy of God, I have an inheritance, I have a glory to look forward to. In absolute, simple terms, brothers and sisters, when doubts come, and they are inevitable, when questions arise, and they do, what will you choose to look at? What will I choose to look at? For Asaph, he went to the sanctuary and he learned, my enemies will be judged. God is with me. God will strengthen me. He will reward me. 
And so the summary of this psalm comes in verses 27 and 28. Look down with me. Those who are far from you will perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, it's good to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. I will tell of all your deeds. At the end of the day, right, the most important decision you or I will make in this life is where you stand in relation to the living God. Asaph says, as for me, verse 28, it's good to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. The heart comes up six times in this psalm. The word refuge, a big concept in the whole book of the psalm, comes up 47 times. That the, the opening two psalms of this big book of psalms, Psalms 1 and 2, we, had, we were sort of introduced to that right at the beginning of this series. Um, these two psalms, 1 and 2, kind of go together and form like an introduction. And they basically call us and they show us, how are you going to live a wise life? And the answer, you make the sun your refuge. You make the sun your refuge. Trust in the sun. Because one day we'll all stand before the living God and we'll all give an account for all that we have done, the good things and the bad things, our whole life. And God will judge us on the basis of those things. And you know what? None of us will be able to stand. None of us will be able to stand on our own. We all need a place of refuge. You need a place of refuge on that day. I need a place of refuge on that day. And at the heart of the Christian faith is the call to take refuge in God's Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and let him pay for all you've done wrong on the cross so that you may be scandalously given security and safety and eternity and inheritance, a future with God forever. So Asaph says, I've remembered that, and it's good. So brothers and sisters, as I finish, don't dwell upon others in envy. Don't shrink your world right down. Look up. Keep looking up. Know that Jesus is holding your hand. Take refuge in him. Doubts will come. It's inevitable. Take refuge in the sun. Take refuge in the sun. Let's pray. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for the honesty of your word. Father, we thank you that your word doesn't sugarcoat our lives. It doesn't sugarcoat the world. Uh, your, world your word is real and engages all of our emotions. We, we thank you for the book of Psalms, all 150 Psalms. Thank you that the Psalms give us these words to express how we are feeling in relation to you, in relationship to others, in relation to your world. Father, all of us are so prone to wandering so prone to leave the one we love. 
because we, we spend more time than we ought looking at the world around us and take our eyes off you. Father, do by your spirit help each one of us in this room and each one of us listening online to indeed take refuge in your son, the Lord Jesus. And as doubts come, as questions arise, help us to not run from you, but to run to you with words inspired by your spirit, with words of this psalm. And Father, remind us that you are holding our hand. You will take us to glory. Help us to take refuge in Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from City Light Church, North Adelaide. We hope you found it helpful and we'd love for you to share this message with others. For more great content, more information about City Light Church, or to donate to the work of City Light Church, North Adelaide, visit us at citylight.church slash North Adelaide.